0: Um, 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 um.
1: Welcome to The Last to Leave podcast, a podcast all about giving a voice to a wide variety of collaborators in film and television. People who are the last to leave set typically aren't the first to be interviewed about their work, and we're here to share their stories. I'm Zoe Danielson.
2: And I'm Heather Lane Abbott. And today we have a very special guest for you on our first ever episode of the podcast. We initially reached out to her about her work as the assistant location manager on Pride and Prejudice, which is a very special movie to Zoe and I. But since then, she has had a career shift and now she works as a dialect coach with some of your very favorite actors. So I'm very excited to introduce Sarah Shepard. Hi, Sarah.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having me, and what a great
2: idea for a podcast.
0: I love oh, this. thank
2: you. It's <laughs> thank amazing. Thank you for being here.
0: <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: So we just love to get started by learning a little bit about you, your backstory, mm-hmm. what led you to pursue a career in film, all of that. <laughs>
0: yeah, what leads anyone to a career in film, right? <laughs> um, the <laughs> glamour that you, before you know that you've... Uh- <laughs> you're going to be exhausted, hungry, cold, probably shooting outdoors at night. You know, the glamour.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) Um, So I, I started my, it was a very, very weird career path. Um, So basically I did a theatre studies degree and I knew I didn't want to be an actor,
2: Mm -hmm. but I knew
0: I wanted to work in that world and I wanted to work probably with actors. And um, I'd filled in, it's just mad when I look back on it. But after I graduated from university, I'd filled in a load of applications for internship courses at the BBC and at different channels. And um, something happened. And literally, there was like a batch of posts that went missing uh, from the Royal Mail Office near me. Something happened and these all got lost. And I'd spent a really long time um, working on them. So I was pretty devastated. And I was kind of a 21-year-old in pieces. And my mum said... Let's go get you some nice food. Let's go and get you some chocolate or something. Let's go and, you know, <laughs> cheer you up. So we did a run to the supermarket uh, to go and get me basically carbs and sugar to cheer me up which still to this day cheers me up. You
2: can't and, go wrong.
0: Um, <laughs> you can't go wrong, no. Never. And uh, still, no. And, um, <laughs> and on the notice board, there's, there's these boards. I don't know if it's the same where you guys are, but I think it's pretty much pretty similar. And on the board in the supermarket, there was this ad for a nanny. And I thought, well... I don't know what I want to do, so I'm going to just, I'm going to take a year out, I'm going to work as a nanny, and I'm going to figure out how to get back into to film and TV work. Mm-hmm. So I go and start working for this lady as a nanny, and she's a location manager. Wow. <laughs> so I know. Wow. So that's how I got into film, was from everything going completely wrong in my actual planned route into film. Yeah. Um, and I happened to meet this woman who was a location manager, so she organized Um, work experience for me first for two days on a a TV job where I literally stood outside and um, in the rain and locked off (laughs) for 12 hours with no wet weather kit because I didn't have that yet. (laughs) I don't think I've ever been so wet and cold in my life pouring water out the boots at the end of the day. Um, and um, and then I got a week's work experience um, through the same person who she'd suggested me to a couple of months later. Um, and that led to me getting um, another set of work experience from another friend of this little group on um, a film called Bridget Jones's Diary. A classic. <laughs> a classic, one that I'm so, so proud to say was my first proper credit. Yeah, and so I was given two weeks' work experience, and then I ended up staying on the whole film. So that's how it all kind of began, really.
2: That's amazing. Just a quick digression about Bridget Jones. I Yes. Uh, <laughs> I studied abroad in England, my last year of college. And oh, cool. I truly was walking around London trying to find all the locations from Bridget Jones's diary and when I found the place that was the exterior of her apartment I was like yes
0: <laughs> it's so cool isn't it and that I have spent so many nights so that was in Borough Market as you yes. know and um, and my my enduring memory of of shooting Bridget Jones was obviously because I was I had the loveliest team. The locations team was just so great. We had so so much fun on that job, but the longest hours. And I remember so much snow. We had to cover so many places in snow for Bridget Jones, including Borough Market. Yeah. I remember those scenes. You all see them for like
2: three seconds, yeah. and no one remembers it. it was like seven days of lying snow. And one hundred percent, she's running out in her underwear yeah. to go kiss Colin Firth, and you put all yep. the snow
0: out. <laughs> we put all the snow out, and um, and they actually shot that twice because when they shot it the first time, they didn't like the knickers that she was wearing. Oh,
1: no way. Then so we had to shoot it
0: a second time.
2: <laughs> oh my God. What? Was it just the color? Was it the cut? I have no idea. I just remember <laughs>
0: thinking, dear God, I'm going to do that again.
1: Do it okay. What? We're
0: doing it again. Hold for knickers. Why couldn't they just thought to do a couple of different ones on the same day? I don't know. So we shot that again. And actually I didn't mind because I had so much fun on that. And I, I just, the borough Market. So it's always going to be one of my favorite memories of London. And every time I walk past, still to this day, and I mean that was now it was it was I think two ninety nine two thousand we were filming that, so yeah. I still look back on that twenty odd years later, and and that's what I think of when I see that particular bit of of Borough Market, and we we because we did the facade of all the shops they weren't there at the time, and so we they were just empty units and so we made them into an, I think an Italian restaurant or, or a Greek restaurant or something was one of them. And mm-hmm. when Colin and Hugh have the big punch up and come flying out one of the window, oh, it was great Just fun. the most
2: iconic scene and all of the I think. I know,
0: <laughs> I know, I was so lucky that that was like the first thing I worked on. So random because everyone knows that
1: one, it's so fun. Such a kismet experience, like how you got into it. You
0: couldn't plan that career path and it was so cool because the woman I was nannying for, was just part of this group of really good friends. They'd known each other for years when they'd come into the industry. And so I kind of got handed around a few of them um, and then just for the work experience initially. And then um, and then Adam Richards, the location manager for Bridget Jones kept me on the whole thing. And I did, you know, another, um, I can't remember if it was two films or one film with him, but, and Claire Tovey, the unit manager, I worked with her again a, a couple of times as well. And um, as such as on Pride and Prejudice. And
1: they were just such a lovely team. Yeah, it's it's so great to hear. Like, uh, some of your favorite films were also like a great experience to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were for me. I mean, I have to say, I think a lot of people found it, as everybody in the industry does, uh, the hours very hard <laughs> because that was one of those jobs where we, I think at the beginning of the shoot, we were doing the 11 hour shoot day and then it went to the 12 hours. Um, so for me, they were offering another £50 a day for people to do this extra hour a day. So for me, that was amazing because I was on no money. So <laughs> I was like doubled my rate in getting that extra £50 a day. Um, but I think others probably would have preferred the sleep, to be honest. But, um, but looking back, you can't grumble to be involved in that film. I mean like you said it's a classic it's iconic yeah. <laughs> what
1: does um a typical day on a film look like for you
0: so when i was doing locations you know i I've, I've had days where i would have the key to let the caterers in to a unit base at 3 something in the morning um and then would be standing by to get the unit in and moving trucks and stuff in and then the unit's up and running maybe by about 8 and then you wait for them all to finish the day, troubleshooting problems as they come, you know, who knows what puddles are going to appear where on a unit base in England and or what, you know, what randomness is going to pop up through the day. And then uh, by the end of the day, you wait for everyone to leave and then lock the gates behind them. So locations was a, a long, long, long day. And I, I loved doing locations. Um, I was dreadful at scouting because I just didn't have an eye for it, but I loved doing locations. I thought that was a really, really fun job. It was It was very straightforward. It had clear boundaries and you had the parameters from production and you felt very involved in production and you knew a lot about what every department was doing, which I loved, but that day would be a long day. Um, with dialect coaching, it's a lot more straightforward. You are much more independent. Um, it depends, your day begins depending on the artist you're working with. Uh, some like to run lines in the chair some don't like to do a warm-up some like to do a warm-up half an hour before they begin makeup and costume you know it's completely random so I just go in when my actor needs me to be there to do warm-ups sometimes I'm there just for moral support or psychological counseling or whatever is needed on that day Um, and then you know pretty much when we wrap I I leave and I, I love knowing having been locations and been an assistant director I love that feeling of just leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and I look at them with pity as I look at the others that have to stay and wait and go,
1: "Oh, I remember those days." Can you talk a little bit about how you got into dialect coaching?
0: Yeah, sure. So it, again, it was I was doing um I'd done a couple of films where I'd met dialect coaches on set and and I just felt that that was much more my bag and I thought this this looks really fun um partly you know they get paid a lot more Beautiful. so that was great that was a great aspiration <laughs> you know and there's nothing to be ashamed of in just thinking I want I want to go where the money is um but also it didn't feel sustainable for me um the way the hours were it felt like I was sacrificing an awful lot of social life um and I think it's it's very prominent now in discussion in in media about what film crew are going through. And I do believe it's um, sometimes borderline criminal, uh, the things that are, and in many cases, actually criminal, uh, what crew are being put through. But so I just, I didn't feel I could keep doing that. I loved locations and and I also enjoyed ADing. And I think I probably would have stayed in locations if it had been more manageable to having a life alongside it. So I just felt that maybe dialect coaching was gonna be a better fit for me, for my life and for creatively what I'd always trained in doing and what I wanted to do. I really wanted to work with actors, really wanted to be part of that creative process. And And actors are just so interesting. It's amazing to be around people who are so committed to their this creative process that's so challenging and weird and playful and serious and to be so exposed, I just knew I wanted to support that. Um, and so I went back in 2005. And I now forget my dates. It's so long ago. That's a sign of my age. But um, I <laughs> went back to to do my masters at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama and I did my MA in voice studies and then it was very convenient because a lot of people who I'd started with as runners and work experience were now you know production managers and first ADs and things like that so they were really kind to give me great recommendations and help me get uh, back into the industry quite quickly which was awesome you kind of miss the camaraderie of a of a, a department that's dying of exhaustion like that was a lot of fun (laughs) and I've lost I've lost the excuse to have kind of 17 Starbucks a day because I do have a trailer that I can just go and have a nap in I do also just really like being able to get home and see my partner and yeah absolutely you know my dogs
1: (laughs) relax a little (laughs) exactly exactly exactly
2: what was the most meaningful experience that you've had on a film set whether it's early on in your career or if it's now in this new phase well not that new but newer phase uh, of dialect coaching meaningful
0: experience oh that's very interesting um I've had some amazing some amazing moments with actors where I've really felt part of their characterization and their journey and that's been just really cool feeling very valued in that way I think there's been beautiful moments as crew when people... Because crew just really band together, I think, in a way that I don't know is appreciated outside of the industry, that you have this absolute camaraderie and you create friendships that... Because I'm friends now with people who I met, you know, on the set of Bridget Jones and they are, you know, my people. So so in if I take friendships out of it, mm-hmm. I would say really gorgeous moments happen. Like I, I once had somebody give me their wet weather coat because I was just getting (laughs) soaked and they just gave it to me because they had a spare one. And I think that's sort of beautiful. So you do see the nicest parts of humanity in a, in a film crew, I think, even through the, the tired murkiness, but, but as a dialect coach, I love, there's a couple of actors that I work with very regularly and they are very, very special people to me. Um, they are my work family and I love the, process I keep saying process so much in this but I love because it is a process every every job is a process and I love how in sync some of us are now with that and how we've we've made we've defined this route together to collaborate on getting them to a point where they find the character because I take obviously no credit for that (laughs) (laughs) that is them doing that I am very far from an actor so I could not help with that but I love feeling needed and feeling helpful
2: in process. Well, and I think, <laughs> I'm going like, to keep saying that now. <laughs> as a dialect coach, like you're truly helping the actor find the voice of the character. And mm. I think there's so many phases as an actor where it like clicks. And once you like find the speech pattern, that's a huge part. I also think once you put on the costume for the first time, that's also a huge part. Yeah. It kind of clicks in. So I think that's such a unique job to get to help them find out like, where in my mouth is the voice of this character? Yeah. Well, you know, and it's something that I do think
0: is underappreciated by people who who watch TV and film and who um, some in some cases work on TV and film. Um, certainly the speed with which actors need to uh, create um, their characterization and the, the fact that it's just assumed, oh, it's acting. You just turn up and you do it. And it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, well, hang on. I might have to film a scene um, that happens three quarters of the way through this movie, which means by the time I film this scene on day one, I need to know exactly what my character is doing all the way back for this first 75% of the story by the time I film it. So I have to be in that place. So it's an incredibly technical process, uh, you know, as, as much as anything else. And when it comes to dialect, it, it is terrifying how many times I've had a phone call to come onto a production um, maybe the day before they start shooting. Oh, wow. no. Something such like, because they haven't given any dialect support until after the table read, if there was one, or until after a rehearsal with a director. Wow. And they haven't they haven't thought that it would be a challenge. Like, it's just an American accent mm-hmm. or it's just a, this accent. And the poor actress sat there going, well, you didn't tell no. me what you wanted oh. and now we film tomorrow. And so now I'm having a nervous breakdown. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, it's such a specific process and it is so hard and that is why it is called an art form and it is it is under, I think, by some people, hopefully a small minority, but I think it is by a small minority of people undervalued as being the creative thing that it is. Definitely. Um, you know, and it's, it, I find it really frustrating. I get very frustrated. I said, that is, if you were going to ask me what frustrates me on set as a dialect coach, I will tell you right now, it is actors not being given the time to do their job well. Um, Which, and that, you know, naturally as well falls to the crew, not being given the time to do their jobs well. It's sometimes the rush of set, I think, is what lets down a project so a project can go from being something that could be brilliant to something that's obviously going to be terrible because nobody is giving it the time that is needed for everybody to do their jobs well and I think that's um sad
2: and I think you can tell in the final product I mean I cannot imagine starting filming the next day and meeting your dialect coach that day—that sounds terrifying.
0: Or, or
2: the, it's even happened to me
0: more than once that I have been called after they've shot for a week, oh wow, and then said that the actor's accent isn't up to scratch. Now, how you're supposed to come in and and speak to an actor and kind of say, so. I know you've been filming for a week, but they've hired me now to work oh, with you,
1: oh.
0: which <laughs> can you imagine how undermined you would be as a performer if that happened? And the trouble is, is that there is, um, oh, God, I've got to be careful with how I word this, but there is, uh, an epidemic of, um, avoidance of, of, be of honesty I think sometimes within the upper echelons of productions I think some producers and less so directors but sometimes will fear having an issue with a performer Mm. Um, and certainly the more famous the performer the less likely um, a producer or somebody seems to want to be to to tackle a difficult subject with them and so it can bizarrely fall to others in the crew not just myself to have really awkward conversations which I don't think are better when they're coming from people who aren't producers and directors I think there needs to be honesty and it's and it is going to harm a performer's confidence potentially if they are told by a dialect coach or by an assistant director that their performance isn't quite where the director wants it to be I think if they're told by the director in a very kind way, I think that can be resolved a lot better. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting how people don't want to be the bad guy on set. And
2: I I do find that interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Like in avoiding confrontation, you're actually undermining everyone and kind of betraying the trust because... I mean, I'm sure the first thing someone feels when you're the one told to approach them is like, well, why did no one tell me? Like, why did no one give me a heads up that this wasn't working? I I agree. And
0: I just, and I think it's, it is, it's a really positive thing that's come from American um, production teams and production crews because there is um, a a foundation of etiquette within um, Americans, I'm going to really, just blanket you all now, are you? It's going to be a really nice, it's a nice blanket though, so I'm allowed please, to Please, yes. <laughs>
1: which,
0: which is that, is as a rule, I think a lot of, um, because it's a solutions-based um, idea, the concept is I'm going to be solutions-based, I'm not going to be problem-based, so I'm going to try and find a positive outcome, which is actually a very worthy goal. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that if you are um, at the top of the food chain and you're too nervous to have a, a difficult conversation mm-hmm. with Um, an artist for any reasons whether you think they can't handle it whether you're um, intimidated by their fame whether you're worried that they will you know have a tantrum I mean whatever that reason is um, that helps nobody if if you are at the top of the food chain and you can't have that conversation so um, I think it is in my experience it is more the American producers and I think it's just because it's a culture of being really nice which is very admirable Um, but I do think that doesn't help when people aren't honest I just really think it's a yeah definitely you know it's just a, it just creates more problems
1: kind of stemming from what you just said have you ever gone into work with an actor and and been a little starstruck and like if so like how do you sort of get like past that to d- do your job and you know work through it
0: oh my god yeah all the time yeah. I just I'm I can imagine kind of, I just because it's awful. But I've, there's two ways I go. True. I mean, the first one is I have this, I don't know what it is where I just don't remember anyone's name. So I will have yes. seen somebody that
1: way too. in a
0: TV series <laughs> mm-hmm. and I will literally be sitting there going, did I teach you at drama school? And, then, and they'll go like, uh, I'm in like three massive films right now. So you've probably seen me in one of those. You're like, oh, this is really awkward. <laughs> You're like, right, right. Got it. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. Right, you are Um, Brad Pitt. I've seen all of your movies. I have just got it. I'm just terrible with names and faces. I don't know why I can't put them together. But there have been a couple of icons that I've worked mm-hmm. with. And um, I think I probably have the same reaction that everyone else has to them, which is I kind of go, oh, my God, this is really exciting. Yeah. Please don't be a dick. Please don't be a dick. And that <laughs> is my standard worry. My biggest concern is that I'm going to get to the end of the job and not like them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to ruin a load of classic films. So, yeah, that's the way I tend to handle physically being in a space with somebody that I find really scary famous or scary amazing Mm -hmm. uh, is I just try and focus on the job and just go you can do this you've been doing this for a long time now you can breathe you know how to breathe so just keep breathing Sarah (laughs) yeah Uh, and there's a couple of times where I've definitely come out with some really weird things it's I, I do this very awkward Overbonding, like oversharing sort of
1: thing. A little nervous with chatter. When
0: I'm nervous. Yes. And so I'll do something. say, like, oh god, sorry, I'm being weird. I've got my period. Or something <laughs> stupid like that. I love that though.
1: <laughs> no better way to just like make a connection.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, especially when it's a guy who's like 25 or something. Um, no, and my new one now is I keep telling people that I've got perimenopause and I don't know why I'm doing it. I just keep saying it. <laughs> it's like filling a gap. oh dear (laughs) oh my god so I'm sure my techniques are not not to be uh not
1: to to be uh reproduced by anyone else you can I'm sure anyone else can do a lot better I think I'm I'm the same way whenever I'm like nervous or I'm gonna be on set and I'm like you know sort of freaked out about it I either go one of two ways and it's either I'm like I'm all work and I'm just doing my thing or I'm like also nervous chatting with people and I'm like oh god why did I say that (laughs) oh I just I
0: know nervous chatting why do we do it I will go in and I will say something that's just so just so inappropriate (laughs) and I'll definitely swear and and then feel awful that I swore and then apologize for swearing like they're a child that's never heard swearing I don't know it's just it's just God help me I mean the the person that I keep being desperate to um just to meet because I just think she's amazing Mm -hmm. is Beyonce oh yeah I cannot even begin to imagine what a puddle I would be if I ever met Beyonce. Oh I feel like I would, it, I don't think I could do the job then. I think I would just be going, oh my God, you're such a queen. I
1: just love yeah. you. It would be awful. She's right there. Oh, it's
0: Beyonce. I can't do this. Can I touch you? Can I touch you, Beyonce? Can
1: I shake your hand just once? <laughs> no okay Uh, i understand
2: (laughs) i get it i get it i get it you are very amazing but But i feel
0: like i don't know how other people just seem so cool with people who they really i don't i i see other people in other departments doing it all the time and i've no idea how they think i'm coping i definitely feel like i'm the obvious interloper in this professional landscape um (laughs) But I just wonder if inside they're having the same thing. I have to assume they might be, surely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs>
0: so yeah, so if, if you ever hear a British girl whispering about her period on set, it's probably me being nervous somewhere. So.
1: As someone who also <laughs> does nervous chatter, I hope, I hope people just find us endearing.
2: Yeah, totally. I hope so, too. That's, all
1: I can, that's all I can hope for.
2: <laughs> I have to ask... Obviously, you don't want to name drop anyone who sucks because you want to keep your job. But who was like the nicest person you've ever worked with who is a name? Okay, I just cannot speak
0: highly enough of Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, amazing. She is just the nicest human. She's just so great. She's yeah, we've we've done several films now and she is absolutely the nicest nicest person i love to hear that um i love her i work loads with benedict cumberbatch and i have to yeah. say that ben is absolutely hilarious and we i mean we've called what was it he called me he was like he called me once his non non-sexual work sister or something or work wife and i was like well i hope obviously <laughs> uh, yeah we have such a laugh, and he does the most amazing things when you're feeling a bit because he's so clever he's so so benedict is one of the smartest people I think I've ever met in my entire life. He's so, so smart. As clever as all his characters. Totally cleverer. I mean, he really is beyond smart. And, um and his brain just doesn't, doesn't stop. But he is also, and I, I really want him to do a comedy or something because he is the funniest man. I just, I, he is so, so hilarious and he will do Impressions that just it doesn't seem possible that a voice can do that amazing, but he does the most amazing impressions, so he's he's great fun too. Um, I also <laughs> do you know the actor Rafe Spall? Mm. He's Timothy Spall's son. He was in uh, he's been in quite a few things recently, but he's he's an amazing guy as well. He's really really nice, down to earth, lovely, lovely man. Yeah, the big the the big short was his the one of the big films that he was in. Um, but he's done loads, you will have seen him in something when you see his face, you'll know him, and he's he's absolutely lovely. But yes, yeah, so there's some really delightful ones oh, out there. M- much more delightful than terrible.
1: Good. Yeah.
0: And one day when I write my
1: memoirs, I will let you know them. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> I will be first in line to buy that memoir. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I have to say, I started watching Sherlock when I was younger and then I had to do a deep dive of Benedict Cumberbatch's like all like film history I'm such a huge fan
2: Zoe does currently oh, have a Benedict Cumberbatch pillow in this room
1: that is Stop so, it. so embarrassing yes. but it is true <laughs> <laughs> it's just little caricatures of all his characters I've had it for a very long time it was a Christmas present
0: <laughs> oh my god when I next speak to him I am telling him that I love that so much oh <laughs> <laughs> Not me blushing. <laughs> I honestly think he's worthy of it. He's just—he's yeah. so—he is so sweet, and he's so loyal. But I—I I mean, honestly, it, it is like he just he's so people don't appreciate i think how clever he is no. but i love the the things like when he did that jump at the oscars yeah. when he did that you know <laughs> yes. jumped into the picture <laughs> just maybe he's just that's who he is mm. he's just he's really funny he's just like a hyperactive kid and i just think he's hilarious wow. so he's definitely a worthy person to
1: okay. like that's for sure
2: i'm so glad that i can continue to love that cover cumberbatch <laughs> it's
1: good to know <laughs> forever forever yeah. I have all his upcoming films <laughs> tabbed on my imdb <laughs> oh, oh bless you oh he'd be so thrilled um from sets have you ever gotten any like super fun like set gifts okay i'm gonna i'm gonna
0: show you something i know this is a podcast but i'm gonna show you something that i think you're gonna find really entertaining but this was given to hod's on the we just finished um, earlier this year filming the second Doctor Strange, yeah. so I'm gonna show you
1: what yeah. we got. Oh, Hang I'm on. so excited. This is one... We will be sure to describe it in great detail for those listening.
0: <gasps> that's a a statue of Doctor oh, Strange. Wow. wow.
1: <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Do you do you just have like a cool, like collectible wall like in your in your house? No. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> that can be your first one to start the wall yeah well
0: I'd be a bit worried of having having a too many of these that it might send out a very strange message about who I am as a person in terms of decorative choices sure, sure. but I do rather like this it's like Benedict's just watching me all the yeah,
2: time. yeah definitely
0: <laughs> it's normally the same things I will tell you this now you normally get a jacket with a logo on it mm-hmm. I got a, a really cool satchel once um from a James Bond films, so I did Spectre, uh-huh. and got a really cool um, satchel from them. Um, I'm trying to think what else was called. Cool. We get speakers sometimes, like little portable speakers. I've had loads of bags. They really like to give out <laughs> bags. And actually they're generally very good. And I've got a lot of very, most of my luggage is from set Fantastic. gifts actually. I, I was really jealous of um, when they made the first Ali G movie, <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> but they, They gave them all the coolest, like, camouflage. I think it was a North Face or something, super something coat, but it was really, it was like a really big, substantial coat. Normally, we just get um, little kind of um, something you'd wear maybe to walk to the gym or something in in early autumn. It's like (laughs) a kind of, that was a really poetic description. (laughs) It really was. Walk to the gym in early
2: autumn. (laughs)
0: But a little thin padded thing, um, which is useful too, but they're not, you know, as exciting as a massive
1: big camouflage overcoat. That was great. I'm a big fan of team jackets. So I'm, I'm just very curious. So you
0: love that too. You have got to get into like this line of work. You need to get in with a good big production company and get, cause they, always, they give them out like anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why are you in uh, film? I'm in film for the jackets, honestly.
2: <laughs> to be fair, they're quite good. So to switch gears just a tad, um, Zoe's favorite thing in the world is to ask people about their favorite movie. So, Zoe, please do the honors. <laughs> well, Sarah,
1: um, can we know some of your favorite films, some of the films that have like inspired you to get into film or just ones you love watching when you're having a bad day, whatever it may be? Oh, my God. God, that is like a pressure question That is isn't a big it? question. Wow. Yes.
0: Okay, okay. So, okay, I can do this. I can do no this. Pressure. I can think of no something. Pressure. Okay, it's not going to be intellectual by any stretch of the imagination. I'm going to tell you this right now. That is a okay. So, for kind of pure escapism,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I pretty much love everything that Jason Statham is in.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that is beautiful. i just like,
0: you can go onto any of the streaming services or channels and you can just type in Jason Statham and something that is going to be just mindlessly brilliant and thumpy action, fasty car, something like that is going to come on and you're going to go, it's going to end the right way. The bad guys are going to die. That's my escapism (laughs) choice. So my escapism choice is definitely Jason Statham movies. Um, Also have worked with him and he's nice. So great second we'll second out good list. reason to, to yeah another good reason for it so he's great um if it's like a style of film that I just really love I'm afraid I'm massively into horror oh yeah um, and so I love the original versions of the ring the eye amazing <laughs> I love all those sorts of things the grudge oh my god the grudge is amazing <laughs> I love that so I do love that kind of side of films um And then I really love the sort of old stuff that I grew up with, like the 80s comedy. So I have such a soft spot for Tom Hanks and his like money pit and all that sort of thing,
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Tom Hanks is amazing. So
0: like I said, you're not getting intellectual from me. Um, I'm sure I do like all the highbrow stuff too. (laughs) Um, But I just can't think of a single thing that's highbrow right now.
2: (laughs) These are your true
1: answers. (laughs)
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm very much of the opinion that highbrow stuff can sometimes be overrated and a, a true test of a movie is its rewatchability. Films that you see all the time that you think
0: are beautiful and amazing for one reason but like you said you're not going to necessarily watch them again. I loved I'm I think Three Billboards is a great example of a film that I thought was amazing. I love that film so much um, but I don't need to watch it again so I guess you know there's once you've seen them once you you have definitely done them but Oh, actually, you know what was funny? that the, Like Free Guy the other day was another really funny yeah. film. Have you seen I've that? I've not seen <laughs> it yet, too. but I want to. I've heard it's great. Oh, yeah. And Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That's That <laughs> <Yes>. one's brilliant. <laughs> oh, all those ones. And do you know what? Ryan Reynolds is a good tip for a good movie as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? He, pretty much everything he's in
1: is pretty watchable. My brother and I are very into horror films. Um, <gasps> and I love asking people, like, is there a horror film that, like, has truly scared you? And it, like, if so, what is that?
0: Oh, come on. The original, the original grudge. Yeah. Have you seen the original grudge? I have grudge? not yet. Oh. I have to. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can watch it. Yeah. Alone. <laughs> All right. So it's really funny. So so my my fiancé mm-hmm. and I have really different tastes in films. Mm-hmm. We do both like the kind of smashy Jason statham mm-hmm. type, Ryan reynolds that sort of stuff. Thank God. Otherwise, I don't know how we would have any like overlap in our material. Um, But when we're apart, I watch the horror stuff and he watches the Disney stuff and the musicals. (laughs) That's not my bag at all. Like I can't think of anything worse than watching anything with singing in it or something like that. So so we do it separately. So all of these films, when I watch them on my own, um, that's how I rate whether or not they're good is if I actually get scared by them because I tend to
1: to take quite a bit to get scared. Um, So... Coming up to some of our last questions here. Uh, do you have any advice that you would give people interested in a career in film? Um, maybe specifically dialect coaching? Yes, I guess
0: I would say, first of all, to not sell your soul to the hours at the very beginning mm-hmm. of, of your career. Because I think it's a common mistake to feel an awful lot of pressure Uh, coming in to the industry to work all the hours god sends to not have a life and to to really potentially make yourself quite poorly not looking after yourself so i think it's really important to look after yourself number one coming into it um dialect coaching is a little different really when you're talking about coming in to the film because you need different qualifications to to be a dialect coach so you'd need to have some phonetics knowledge and um, to, to go back and learn how to work with actors. Um, and often dialect coaches do come from an acting background, I think for that reason. Uh, but, but speaking more generally of people coming in, I think to come in, if you don't know what you want to do, I would definitely say start in the AD department Mm -hmm. and begin as a, well, we used to call them runners now PA. Uh So be a set PA and learn what all the departments are about. It's a great entry-level position to try and discover from from there where you want to go similar production office assistant um, if you're more interested in going the production route or maybe editing or something like that perhaps it would be better to start in that side of things so that you meet those those people on that that side um, but i think really just making sure that you look after yourself you know your boundaries and you accept that you might have to annoy people in order to maintain those boundaries <laughs> yeah. is is an okay thing. But of course it's difficult because when you're 21 years old and you've come into something, you just want to look really enthusiastic and do everything everyone yeah. asks you to do. And then cut to standing in a hallway for, you know, 14 hours being forgotten about while you're locking off on a freezing cold set is is just some of it's par for the course, but some of it is just, you know, borderline abuse. And so I think yeah. you need to pay a lot of attention to what the media are saying about, Uh, what's coming out from different um, industry representatives like IATSE and BEC2 in the UK and, and following all of that Mm -hmm. so that you know what is considered acceptable and what isn't. And yes, but it's really fun. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm always putting everyone off. (laughs) It can be really fun. There's not a lot of moments where you just sit there going, Oh God, but sometimes the Oh God moments are also the most bonding moments with other crews. So Mm -hmm it's, there's always a silver lining, I think.
2: Well, before we get to the very end, Zoe and I would love for you to just teach us something about your very favorite dialect. Like, could we oh, learn God. how to say one sentence in your favorite dialect?
1: If you're comfortable, of course.
2: I'd like to say, okay, let's do, let's do
0: Something which doesn't get a lot of airtime. Let's do a little bit of Welsh. Okay. And I'm gonna give you, because it's a it's a good one. It does, yeah, so it's, it's one I love teaching. It's really, really fun. My mother's Welsh, and so it's um a particularly good one. So if you if you haven't heard Welsh before, it's a lot like this. So it's kind of very sing song, and they've got a lot of um, sort of interesting rhythms and stuff going on with it. So my favourite thing though is they change this one sound, so from near and here in a really strong Valleys accent, which is where my family are from, in um, Ustriganlice, which is down in South Wales, is they will change near to near. Near. So you get near. So you can say, any chance I could get a beer near here. (gasps) A beer near here. So you're going to try saying, I'd love to find somewhere I can get a beer near here. I'd love to find a
1: beer beer near here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're doing it very RP. Beer yeah. near here. So you've kind of gone to eighteen eighteen ninety-five RP, which I also love. But now think about it. Go try again. So just go, I'd love to find a place to get a beer near here.
1: I'd love to find a place to get a beer near here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're so proper right now. Like full oh, no. <laughs> full downtown Abbey, like fancy fancy.
0: <laughs> go on Heather, let's no. see you okay, have a go at that.
2: G- give me the example real quick. Okay, so
0: is that anywhere I can find a beer here?
2: Is that anywhere I can find a beer near here? <laughs> Oh, that wasn't bad. All right. That wasn't
0: Amazing. bad. <laughs> you really embodied it at the end there. I felt like you really wanted that. Blur. I did.
1: That was good. We do want a be near here. <laughs> we do. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Thank you
1: so much. <laughs> Even just that little bit there was so interesting how you explained that. Well, I didn't really explain very much. I just gave you a really hard accent and said, let me <laughs> But it was a blast.
0: (laughs) I I love it too, though. And I love when you see actresses like uh, like Saoirse and Jodie Comer is another one who is just
1: beautiful. Oh, God.
0: She's amazing. She's amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, But yes, it's interesting because some actors just have an ear for Mm -hmm. it. I mean Heather, you just did that very well then. I would have to assume that you have a very good ear for accents.
2: I'm an imitator.
0: I love, I love to imitate, yeah. And that's such a help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is that makes life so much easier. But there's a clip online um, of if you Google, um, I would like to buy a hamburger, and it's um <laughs> what's his name? Steve see, Steve Martin. Oh, I remembered it. Steve Martin in The Pink Panther, getting getting a lesson from a dialect coach. Yeah, saying, I would like to buy a hamburger. Oh And sometimes that is what my life feels like. <laughs> that you're just saying yeah. hamburger and they're going. Hey, <laughs> so that is that is not a terrible representation of dialect coaching sometimes.
2: Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> oh wow, that's incredible. Um yeah. So I can't I, believe it, but we've come to the end. Of our wow, podcast. Wow, that's been so fun. Yeah. So before we go, I would just love to know: are there any projects you're currently working on that you want people to check out? Um, and also where can people follow you? Oh, well, you can you can follow me on
0: Instagram at Word of Mouth Accent Training um, oh. and website of the same name, wordofmouthaccenttraining.com. So that's a little what I call the side hustle, myself and my colleague Helen Ashton. We wrote a book together a few years ago we just had the second edition edition come out and um, and we do a lot of accent work for clarity for international speakers so that's something that we, we close a project very close to my heart and also eternals the last project that I did before lockdown happened has just come out so please go see it I just saw it the other um, night. I think it's beautiful yes. yeah and Chloe is just you know she did some wonderful work on that so I think it is I'd love for people to go and see that in, in the cinema I really think it's a cinematic experience is needed for that one so
1: yes please go see that love Chloe Zhao and Eternals I can say was incredible oh good I'm so glad yes it's had mixed
0: reviews
2: but I think it looks beautiful before we go who did you work with on Eternals so people can see your work in action
0: I did work with um most cast just on little bits and pieces but also um, so, I did all the Babylonian language that's in that, the Babylonian and Sumerian. So, we spent a lot of time working on teaching that to cast yeah. as well. So,. And then there was some clarity work because most people are doing their own accents in that. So working on clarity um, and on English with that as well as the Babylonian.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us today. This has been so fun and so informative. Yes, thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: well, thank you so much for having me. I am sorry for all the wittering
1: and for saying period so many times. <laughs> we loved it. We loved it. <laughs> thank you so much. This was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.
2: Thank you so much for joining us on our very first episode of Last to Leave. Once again, that was Sarah Shepard and we could not be more grateful to her for taking the time to chat. We'd also like to thank Lee Walls for our logo and M. L. Abbott for our theme music. You can find their socials in the episode description. You can follow us
1: at Last to Leave Podcast and keep up with our other productions at Amos Porter Productions, both on Instagram. Last to Leave is a bi-monthly podcast and you can catch our next episode on February 7th. Where we will be interviewing another incredible creative. See ya, film nerds! This has been an Amos Porter podcast.